Hello, and welcome to the Fidelity Next podcast, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. In today's podcast, we're looking at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Host Emily Ananuevo is joined by Fidelity's expert panel, portfolio manager and director of research Joe Overdevest, with two members of his team, equity research analysts Nick Belmare and Max Adelson. The panel will look at what is next for cryptocurrencies, expand on this asset class, and look at how blockchain has changed business models. They look at what research is saying about blockchain and cryptocurrencies and how these technologies could shape our future and create opportunities for young Canadians. Joe, Nick and Max also share a bit on their career paths from post-secondary education to investment management. Enjoy. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Next. I'm Emily Nuevo. Cryptocurrencies, the next revolutionary thing or just a flash in the pan? How do digital currencies actually work and how are they changing the investing landscape? And what should young Canadians know about crypto and the foundation that underpins its impressive growth? Here to share insights on the future of digital currencies is Director of Research and Portfolio Manager Joe Overdevest and Equity Research Analyst Nick Belmare and Max Adelson. Welcome, everyone. So happy you could join me on the show today. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Very uh, much looking forward to our conversation on obviously a very exciting and popular topic right now. Um, Joe, Nick, Max, before we deep dive into blockchain and cryptocurrencies, I wanted to talk about um, getting a career here at Fidelity because we field so many questions about what's it like to work at Fidelity and how you can get started. And I kind of want to frame it around one piece of advice you would you would give young Canadians and, and young graduates. I know you're all, all at different parts of your career. So what would you say to young people who want to start out in the investing and financial world? Joe, if I can start with you. Thanks, Emily. I think the first is that for me is that you have the opportunity in front of you to educate yourself. There's a lot of students that will come to me and say, well, I have a similar GPA to everyone else. I have similar experience. You know, how do I get ahead when it comes to getting that job? One of the benefits, especially of today, is there's so much on, on the internet, on YouTube, on social media to educate yourself, read investing books, and just to take that step further that isn't just education in the, uh, the classroom, but educate yourself really shows great initiative and puts you ahead of the game. How about you, Nick? What would you say? Yeah, I would build on Joe's point um, and say that the great thing about stocks is it's, it's open for everyone to, to trade. Uh, whether it's real money or, or paper money, it doesn't really matter. I think what's uh, more important uh, for us when we look at candidates is that they can explain the rationale for why they would buy something, sell something. So my best advice would be, if you're interested in stocks, um, start investing, real money, fake money. But the important point is document why you're buying a certain stock, why you're selling it. Internally, we always have an investment thesis, three or four key points of why we're making a decision. It's a good idea to that you can start keeping track of that early. And Max, what would you add to that? 
I would say that this is an industry that rewards being entrepreneurial and reaching out and leveraging the sources of information that you have. I think that also includes sources of uh, people, of human resources that you might have access to, whether that's professors or people you know who've worked in the industry or even people that you don't know that you can reach out um, to through LinkedIn. There, there are a ton of investment professionals who are always looking for creative, new, interesting ideas. And often those ideas come from young people. Uh, and you can see that through some of the very successful companies that we have in existence today. Perfect. Great tips and practical advice there. So let's deep dive into blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Now, I probably can speak for a lot of young people on the line right now when I say that crypto is a very, you know, complex, it could be a very complex and confusing topic, you know, and we've been hearing about it for several years now, but yeah, people and people are calling it revolutionary, you know, and others say be cautious. So for someone who's looking at crypto for the first time, where should they start in terms of educating themselves? Max, if I can go back to you. Well, luckily there is a lot on the internet. Fidelity uh, is a leader in this space. There's a lot of services and information from Fidelity Digital Asset Services. You can find them online. Uh, there's also a very uh, public community who speaks about this. You can find forums out there. Um, and also, uh, you know, there's, there's tons of content in terms of uh, YouTube. And then there's some dedicated websites that are, are related to the space. Max, I mean, uh, Nick, what would you say and to add to that? Yeah, I would just point specifically, it, it's a very fast moving space. So uh, I think one community, as Max was talking about, it lives on the internet and a lot of it is actually on, on Twitter. Um, like cryptocurrencies by nature are very open protocols. They're decentralized, they're open source. And so people kind of come up with new ideas, debate all the time, and a lot of that happens uh, on, on crypto Twitter. So I would I would start uh, looking into that, maybe following some some accounts and then you can see like the live developments and debates that are happening in the industry. And Joe? Well, you can start with the most technical is the original white paper on Bitcoin. But uh, because I'm last year, maybe I'll give you more of a hopefully a, a fun one is actually one of the better books is called Bitcoin Billionaires. Um, and many of you probably saw the movie Social Network. Well, Social Network, the, it's based on book, and the writer write, wrote Bitcoin Billionaires. So the Winklevoss twins, of course, leave their episode with Facebook, take that money. And it shows in very, obviously, in some ways, entertaining ways, what did Bitcoin have to do to get here for mass adoption? Because they were big advocates of it and, and some of the risks involved with Bitcoin and digital currencies and, and how they had to educate people, how to educate regulators. And if you don't read the book, supposedly there's a movie coming out soon as well. But a uh, very good book. And, but actually, more importantly, it tells really of the ecosystem of what's going on. Hey, okay, great example. Uh, Joe, I want to continue with you. And let's break down some, some terms here, some terminology. Bitcoin, you know, what is it exactly? Is it an asset class? People compare it to digital gold. Why is that? Bitcoin is part of, of course, the blockchain technology. But Bitcoin itself is in what its hope is essentially is to be a digital currency and for the mass adoption or at least for people to adopt in general sense why it's still probably a little uncertain right now is is the masses have not adopted it because most digital currencies are still uncertainties and we can get into that but really what it is is it's a currency that is not in a physical location and so we're all used to of course dollar bills and a physical asset 
it really is a digital currency involving you know keys and passwords and why it's not maybe totally adopted yet is because there's so much volatility so people are actually in some cases thinking of it just as an asset class i'm going to invest in this digital currency because over time it will grow in value against other currencies like the us dollar or canadian dollar but essentially what it's trying to do is trying to be a store of value, just like a currency for transactions and to hold wealth. Okay, a lot to unpack there in terms of it's it's not tangible and it's it's sort of the currency of the internet. Max, if I could turn to you and if you can explain sort of the blockchain technology behind it, because it's it's another kind of complex, uh, you know, um, concept that many people have questions about. What can you say about it? Yeah, I think. To start out, Emily, you, you said it really well, uh, which Bitcoin is often referred to as a native currency of the internet. It is extremely complex in terms of how it works, but I think developing a framework for it, we need to think about it in very simple terms. Most of our information in the world, whether it's uh, data, whether it's uh, corporate information, is stored in central repositories. They're, sold, they're stored in uh, either hierarchical or relational databases. The blockchain is a process of distributing the database in multiple locations so that it's harder to change. It's, it becomes almost impossible to manipulate that database. No single person can go in and change the record because it has to be validated by every single, it's called node in the network. And that's effectively how Bitcoin achieves this consensus process and why it has achieved so much trust among the people who really believe in it. In terms of valuing cryptocurrency, if you can't value it, how do you know if the current price is low valuation and therefore would make it an investment? Because it's, you know, you hear of it, you know, jumping like 100, like 200, like 600 percent of its value. But like, where do you start from there? And we, we probably all have slightly different views <laughs> on valuing uh, cryptocurrencies. And I think every investor comes at it in a bit of a different way. The, the way I tend to think about it is that a Bitcoin is a, is, is a deemed scarce asset, and so we know its supply. What we don't know is its demand. We know that demand has fluctuated considerably over time. The supply curve is known. Uh, and so the demand in many cases is just a function of the dollars in circulation and the, and the opportunity cost for those dollars to go elsewhere. If there are very compelling investment opportunities with high returns in other areas, it's going to suck liquidity out of the Bitcoin and digital asset ecosystem and towards other opportunities. If there are fewer opportunities, there's money that's going to flow uh, into, into Bitcoin and others. So it's a bit of a stock versus flow type of arrangement. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you need to wrap your head around is that um, basically um, crypto, you know, the, the value of digital assets, right? Can digital assets have value? And the reason why we often don't think of digital assets having value is because it's hard to create this scarcity in the digital world. Um, but some assets are very valuable even if they're digital. For instance, I, I saw that the, the domain names cars.com sold for $800 million. So that's a digital asset that is scarce because there's only one cars.com and it brings utility to the owner of that asset. And so, uh, as Max said, built in the code of the Bitcoin, there is uh, embedded scarcity. So I think that's one part of the, the genius of this. And then on the demand side, uh, do users have uh, the right value out of the network? I think 
um, the value that you derive from it is more akin to a social network, right? So if I'm the only user of Bitcoin, very, very little value. But if millions of people uh, around the world kind of accept it as a store of value or a network to exchange value, suddenly I think that's how the value accrues to the network. Nick, I want to continue with you because, you know, in your research, you you research financials and banks and digital currencies. They're they're not regulated. So what types of um, risks does this pose for banks? I mean, I would refute a bit the claim that it's completely unregulated. Uh, first of all, I think the first regulator that had an interest in cryptocurrency, perhaps not surprisingly, was at the tax agencies. <laughs> uh, they, they wanted their fair share. So, I mean, from that standpoint, you know, um, uh, cryptocurrencies are taxed as capital gains. So there, there is some piece of regulation uh, there. In terms of the coins themselves, um, what we're seeing in the U.S., Bitcoin is deemed to be a commodity. Uh, so it's regulated by the, the, the commodity regulator. Some other coins, though, can be deemed securities. So that's where it gets tricky. Like the most recent case was Ripple. Uh, which was deemed a security. And the big importance of this is that when you're a security of a much higher disclosure requirements and the exchanges that list you also are held to a higher standard. The exchange is an interesting piece because uh, cryptocurrencies are a completely different market structure than equities, for instance. If you want to trade cryptocurrency, you basically have to give control uh, of your assets to an exchange. Um, and so I think this is an area where the exchanges are quite lightly regulated and because you have to give asset, your, your control to the exchange, it may bring more uh, scrutiny. So that will be an interesting one to watch. I'll conclude by saying I think the big picture here is we'll see how it evolves because for now, Bitcoin at $700 billion market cap, it's still small in the scope of the world. I mean, it's like half of Amazon's market cap. If it does get much bigger, uh, does it threaten government's monopoly on money? And I think if they, uh, if they think that is the case, that's when you could see a crackdown, potentially. Uh, you can't shut down Bitcoin because it's decentralized, lives on the internet, but you can make it harder for citizens of a country to use it. So I think that's where we're going to see. But the, the irony is the more people adopted ahead of a regulation like that, the harder it would become for a government to shut it down and they would be more prone to see how can we live with it rather than than, than and close access. Oh, interesting. Can you share your views on the similarities and differences between gold and Bitcoin and the value proposition of embedding Bitcoin into asset allocation for traditional money managers? Joe, if I can go to you for that one. Yes. Um, gold right now, much like almost Emily, I like your question before, like how do you set the value of Bitcoin? I would almost ask, well, how do you set the value of gold? Because, you know, Gold is essentially it's shiny, it's nice, it's heavy, but it's a it's a, a perceived value, really. Like, you know, what I mean, and so, but it's amazing how over society over time, we have a certain perceived value of gold. If I gave you a gold bar, you would be like, thank you. This is worth something to me, right? Um, but I've gave you, you know, nickel, it'd be less. But the same thing with with US dollars or Canadian dollars. Yes, they're backed by a Canadian or US government, but really it's just a piece of paper. But it's it helps with transactions because both sides have a perceived value of it. And so as Bitcoin would go into like say asset allocation or like a, an advisor or investor says, I wanna own um, uh, stocks, I wanna own bonds, I wanna own gold, that, that next decision is Bitcoin, it probably replaces gold to some degree. It's in that kind of bucket where it's, it's an alternative currency. It's probably because you're, you're negative on the US dollar or the Canadian dollar or currencies in general. 
and you want to own it potentially for an inflation protection hedge. But what's missing is probably, as we mentioned, is a, a few things before lots of investors do, do this, is more regulation, more education, and probably less volatility. I know everyone likes to see stuff go up, but for an asset allocator, when you're looking at Bitcoin, it blows up the risk models because there's so much volatility. If you're going to put it in there for what you think is alternative currency, which currencies generally don't move as much, um, it probably isn't at that level yet. But I think over time, as these things get resolved, you could see Bitcoin take share from gold. From gold. Joe, you mentioned stable supply and fluctuating demand. So what are the key drivers to shift the demand, the demand in the past few months? I think the past few months is, you know, there's probably just a number of things is, uh, first of all, just the education that it's more out there in the public. Um, and as again, we, we said before is the more people adopt it, the more it can, you know, it's, it's, it drives demand because again, what's very unique about Bitcoin, there is a limited supply at some point in time. I think number two, also what's happening is you see more of the rails accepting it. The rails, what I mean by that is not the rails that we think of. But the, the financial institutions we, we work with, they work on rails. They work on rails like PayPal, for instance. Uh, they work on other kind of payment processing systems. And if they accept, you know, US dollars, Canadian dollars, your credit card online to purchase something, but also some online rails start accepting Bitcoin, which they have recently, that it increases definitely the use cases of it. So it's not just simply an investment for most people. Now it starts to becoming an actual transaction uh, tool for them. So education some more rails adopting it and as time goes uh, we'll see how this uh, gets you know further developed here's a question for uh, either nick or max and and one that i've always been interested in and to do with security in your in your passwords and your private keys when it comes to bitcoin um given the consequences of losing you know potentially losing your password or key is, is there really a future for this because you know how can it all sort of be managed that way yeah, I'll I'll start with that because um, I when I started experimenting with cryptocurrencies, I tried a bunch of different methods to store them. Uh, some of which I unfortunately lost because I was leaving them on exchanges that happened to lose their own private keys, and therefore I wasn't able to access them. That was a very good learning experience. Uh, but there's there are multiple ways of of looking at this. There are custodial providers that are emerging. Fidelity Digital Asset Services is one of them. Uh, these custodial providers have different levels of security, and they also have insurance, almost like deposit insurance for a normal bank. And that's where this market is is heading towards. You can also store coins on a hardware. Uh, it's called a Trezor wallet. You can you can buy one of those online. Uh, we've also experimented with that too. So it's not the same as storing assets with a central custodian, like a stock certificate or a bond certificate, but that whole industry itself is developing uh, at this very moment. So there is such thing as a crypto wallet, is there? Yeah, essentially you have to hold cryptocurrencies in a, in a wallet and the wallet has two set of addresses, which is your public address, which is the one you would share with your friends if you want them to send you some cryptocurrencies and then you have the private key which is the one you need to validate transaction. The one person who holds the private key can essentially transfer value out of the wallet. So this is the one you really need to safeguard. Um, it is it is it is digital, uh, but you know it's basically it's a, <clears throat> almost like a password, right? But this is the the access 
um, to your wallet. So you really kind of need to safeguard that. And when Max talks about custody solutions, is you're basically outsourcing the responsibility of safeguarding that private key to a third party that potentially has like more sophisticated uh, security solution that, than you would have on your own. What should students do and young people do when, you know, playing with this idea of uh, FOMO and fear of losing out when there are so many ads and people pushing, you know, young people to buy into Bitcoin? Like, how do they how do they deal with that? How do how should they handle that? I think um, you have to watch um, Twitter, social media, uh, Hollywood movies. They glorify the people that had a big success. I bought early when no one was buying. I ran it up. I'm the billionaire. It doesn't sell a lot of tickets. The person that bought and totally lost everything right out of the gate. So, you know, we have to make sure our perceptions of the success is actually legitimate. What I mean by that is the odds often of buying the hot, hot thing in general is actually very low. Doesn't mean it's not zero, but just really watch what you're buying. And also, are you buying on full education? I think, you know, hopefully you've taken away from this. Max and Nick, are you know very educated in this subject. They do a lot of work on it. And even they will tell you, they're probably in the early innings of what they hope to learn about this subject matter. And it, just even a few minutes, we've already gone over about all the risks. Like people, Google the people losing their key and all the sad stories, or they had an exchange and they lost it because that exchange or custodial was hacked. And, or they, they thought I'll buy not the Bitcoin, but I'll buy, you know, this, this small digital currency that no one's heard about, but it'll be the next big thing and it never takes off. And so just really watch, especially for students, I, I'm very empathetic to making sure you don't get swayed. You're very smart. Make sure you just get the full and her side before you get into anything, not just digital currency, but the next hot thing. Absolutely. Educate yourself and do your research and, and do your due diligence. How else do you see the financial services industry leveraging blockchain technology outside of the world of crypto? I, I think um, I'll start a little bit with where I see these, these public chains like Bitcoin and Ethereum fitting within the, the traditional financial uh, services. I mean, in some way, I think they are a, a competitive threat, obviously very long dated. Uh, but you, what you're essentially building with these open protocols are kind of new rails, as Joe was mentioning, to store value, move value, even coordinate capital with the decentralized finance uh, movement. So I think um, there are some profit pools that could be down the road disrupted. Uh, maybe some of the most obvious ones would be kind of cross-border payments, which currently like attract the very high fees. So that's that's how I see the potential disruption. Now, some Traditional financial companies really embrace the change and adapt. We talked about the Fidelity's involvement very early on with custodial services. If you look at CME, which is like a, a futures exchange, they, they have launched contracts on Bitcoin or Ethereum. And we talked earlier about PayPal and Square in the US allowing people to purchase or sell digital currencies. And they've actually said these customers that have a digital currency, uh, sort of a crypto account, they tend to log in twice as, as much as the average. So clearly you see the more innovative companies here um, leading and um, kind of using that even to, to their advantage rather than as a, as a threat. I want to talk about something really simple and just ask the question of why do we have these intermediaries in the financial system? Because in theory, there could be a, a central bank issuing currency 
goes straight to a population or businesses that exchange it amongst themselves. And yet we have these banks often who sit between transactions. I use a bank. I use Interact and my own bank account to send money to Nick and Joe and others. And a lot of the time it's because we need someone to be responsible for the information, be responsible for the data. And we trust that entity to be responsible with the data. When we enter into this decentralized world, we're, we are taking more responsibility upon ourselves. And so it solves certain use cases. Other use cases, we'd rather have a central uh, counterparty. And so maybe I'll bring up one, which is just a simple transaction. Uh, in, in, in our space, in the mutual fund world, there may be uh, investors who want to switch between funds. They want to switch between fund companies, and they have to move through several central repositories to do so. We've looked at using blockchain to make that process more fluid, to make it faster, and, and also to remove a barrier of trust of who will deliver the funds as requested when they are, uh, when they are demanded. We could go on and on about this topic, but uh, you know we have a few minutes left, and I wanted to squeeze in a few more questions. Um, this one for Nick and Max. Uh, what additional tips would you give someone looking to enter the field of equity research? We get a lot of questions about what what a research analyst does. So, what would you say to them? I can start with what uh, we do. Um, I mean, if I can summarize really quickly, is that. Uh, at least our teams are organized by by sector. So currently I cover the financial sector. My role is just to become really uh, an expert, kind of know the companies uh, really well, know the big trends that are impacting. I mean, just the emergence of blockchain and cryptocurrencies is just one among many trends that are impacting the financial service industry. And then take that knowledge to identify ultimately the best uh, stocks to to buy or to sell in my sector and make sure those recommendations get into the portfolio managers uh, portfolios and have a very positive impact for clients in terms of delivering investment performance and, and alpha so if that's the kind of the 30 second summary of our job yeah and max what kind of tips would you give uh, you know to young graduates who want to jump into equity research i think the biggest thing is just a hunger to learn to try uh, to um, to make mistakes, not unfortunately. I think our best lessons as investors always come from mistakes. You know, we do our absolute best to deliver performance and alpha over time, uh, and many of us have have great track records in that regard. But the two things that we can really control over time are our effort and our attitude. And if if you want to succeed in this industry, you've got to be willing to make some mistakes. You've got to be willing to try and embrace some some new ideas. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of uh, victories come along the way when you, when you embrace that attitude. Excellent tips. Joe, I want to throw the last question to you as we wrap up our talk about digital currencies. One key takeaway you want to leave, uh, you know, young students about the future of digital currencies and where we're headed. I think the, the punchline is it's early. It's, and that's exciting. It's exciting that, you know, we have all these things in front of us, like more regulation, more adoption. The ironic thing is maybe Bitcoin goes mainstream and the original adopters go, well, I don't want to own it if it's mainstream anymore. I want to own the, want to own the thing that's not mainstream. But I think it's very early on. It is exciting for us as individuals, and hopefully that came across, is that, you know, if I even told you a few years ago, there'll be this digital currency that will, like, live on the Internet and no one will, you know, no government will be able to touch it. You'd be like, you're crazy. And, and that's the, the benefit of the world we live in. It's very dynamic. 
and it does solve some many issues the blockchain technology does. And so I think we're very early on, and there's going to be some big winners out of this, and also there's going to be some some companies and some industries that could be disrupted as well. So if you love learning, this is a great spot where the funnel is just at the bottom. Absolutely. Joe, Nick, Max, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Fidelity Next today. I feel like we've just skimmed the surface about blockchain and cryptocurrencies. I feel like there could be a part two coming up. So I thank you for your time today. Thanks, thank you. thank you, Emily. Fidelity has great job opportunities available right now. So just check out careers.fidelity.ca for more information and follow us on social media at Fidelity Canada and let us know what topic or guests you'd like to see in future episodes. And I'll see you next time on Fidelity Next. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Next podcast brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. You can visit fidelity.ca for details on future live webcasts. Follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review or a five-star rating. Thanks. See you next time.